last Friday was the seventh annual World Emoji Day. Did you all celebrate it? Yeah? I hope you did. It's a day given over to the celebration of everything emoji. And to mark the day, Twitter released a breakdown of the most used emojis on Irish Twitter since the start of this year. And I think it gives a little interesting insight into the kinds of things that were on people's minds this year. So topping the list of emojis used was the crying with laughter emoji. I'm not, I'm not kind of surprised about that because I think a lot of people have been trying to sh- share jokes and little uh, things like that to try and cheer each other up over this, uh, this, uh, these six months or so. But up next was the crying face emoji. Again, not surprising, in a year marked with so much loss and suffering and hardship. But the third most tweeted emoji was this one. The worried face emoji. I've just seen who, who's, who's impersonating the worried face emoji this morning, but I'll look out for that. Uh, this worried face was used 415% more this year than the previous year. Over four times as much. And I think it shows that many people have been worrying over these last few months. And what kind of things have been worrying about? Well, this year the shopping trolley was used a whole lot more than previous years. People have been worrying about shopping and where to go to the shops. I'm not, I'm not surprised about this one. The little microbe is used a lot more. And uh, the last one I want to mention is, of course, toilet rolls. Well, people have been very worried about their toilet rolls uh, this year. Fear Worry, anxiety, well, they've been dominating a lot of people's thoughts this year. But of course, these emotions are not new. It's not just this year that people have started to worry about things or be concerned about things. These are the kind of things that many of us have had to deal with regularly. They were also dominating the thoughts of the disciples. The disciples had heard reports about the empty tomb from the woman and from Peter and from John. They'd also heard reports from Mary Magdalene and from Peter and the two on the road to Emmaus about meeting the risen Lord. But still that night they were afraid and worried and confused. But this was going to change with an amazing declaration, a declaration of peace that drives out fear. So we're going to read from John chapter, nine, uh, John chapter 20, verse 19, down to verse 23 this morning. Just a short reading uh, from John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. 
the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I think it's no wonder that the disciples were huddled together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Their teacher, their Lord, their friend had just been arrested, questioned, beaten, flogged, condemned and killed in the most brutal of ways. When he died, all of their hopes and dreams had died with him. And it looked like, from their perspective, it looked like that this had happened because one of their own number, Judas, had betrayed Jesus. And if that was not bad enough, when all of this happened, they'd nearly all abandoned the one that they'd committed their lives to. When Jesus was arrested, all the disciples deserted him and fled, it says in Matthew's Gospel. And then, when Jesus was questioned by the Sanhedrin, Peter, the most outspoken and, and courageous among them, well, he had crumpled under the pressure. And he had denied even knowing Jesus. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross, most of the disciples were nowhere to be seen. Only John and a few of the women were there. And then to add to all of this worry and pressure and, and stress, Jesus had actually told them just, in that, just a couple of days earlier, just the evening earlier, that they would be hated, that they would be persecuted, that they would be excluded, and they would be executed because of their commitment to Jesus. Time is coming, Jesus said, when anyone who kills you will think that he is offering a service to God. People will kill you and they, they will think that they are doing God's work. So no wonder these people hid behind locked doors in fear. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were afraid that the next knock at the door would be soldiers coming to wipe them out. I don't know if you can relate to that kind of fear. There are so many things in this world that can make us afraid. Some of these fears sometimes are possibly out of proportion to the danger that we're in. Anybody afraid of spiders? Yeah? Come on, be honest. I don't, I don't like them. If, if you ever have a spider in your house, Tony will come and rescue it. Not you, it. They all them. And wasps. So sometimes our fear of things is out of proportion to the danger. Sometimes it's not. Many of our fears are realistic. It's understandable that many people today are worried about their health, their families, their finance, their security, their future. 
And of course, ultimately, humanity have been, has been dominated by one fear. The book of Hebrews talks about those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Worry and fear are understandable because we live in a dangerous world. And yet, look at what Jesus said to these disciples, his first words to them. Verse 19. It says verse 10, but it should be verse 19. He said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The common Jewish greeting was, of course, Shalom. It meant not just the absence of fear or stress, but the presence of well-being in its fullest sense. It was about a life filled with all of the blessings of being part of the kingdom of God. So this, in a sense, was a common greeting. But when Jesus declared peace, there was nothing common about it. It's so important that Jesus repeated it. In verse 21, peace be with you. And again a week later, in verse 26, peace be with you. This is because real peace is the gift of the risen Christ. Jesus died and rose again so that we can experience peace. Real peace. First of all, that's peace with God. Our sin made, made us separated from God. Made us enemies of God. We were living in rebellion against His rule and His reign in our lives. But because of His amazing love and His mercy, God sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price for our sins. So that we can be reconciled to Him. So Isaiah says that the punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And so if we're here this morning and we've trusted in Jesus, then we've been brought into peace with God. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. Through the blood of Christ. We are now forgiven and cleansed and adopted into his family. We're close to God today. And through this, he's also reconciled us with others. One of the, the greatest divisions in, in Paul's day, in his communities, was a division between Jew and Gentile. They would have nothing to do with each other if they could. But Paul wrote about that conflict, he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Who has made the two one. Who destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There are so many things that might separate people in this world today. 
We could think of race, or background, or status, or gender, or achievements, or mistakes and failures in our lives. Hold of other things that divide people. But through his death and his resurrection, Jesus has removed all of these divisions. All of us who have trusted in Jesus have now been brought into one family, one community, equally loved, equally valued, equally accepted, with equal access into God's presence forever. All those divisions mean nothing in God's family. Because we are one in Christ. And then it's this that enables us not just to be at peace with God and with others, but with ourselves. Experiencing that peace with God and with others brings harmony into troubled hearts. Jesus promised, peace I leave you, with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Of course that doesn't mean that all of the problems and challenges and difficulties of our, of our lives are just suddenly removed. We know that's not the case. But it means that in those difficulties, in those problems, in those challenges... We can, we can keep on giving them into the hands of our Heavenly Father. Knowing that He will always care for us. That He will always provide for us. He will always support us. He will always bring us safely home. And so this peace comes from knowing God. Knowing that we're accepted by God just as we are. It means we don't need to hide our faults. We don't need to try and hide from each other. We don't need to try and pretend to be something we're not this morning. We can just be ourselves. And it means that we, we can accept ourselves as we are. Because we know that we're loved and we're valued. And we're precious in His sight. And that will never change. So the resurrection of Jesus brings us peace. And it brought that peace into the disciples' lives because it restored their faith in Him. Their faith in Jesus had taken a real beating with the events of that weekend. When Jesus met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, do you remember how they said to him, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Past tense. They had trusted in Jesus as their Messiah. They had put their hopes and dreams in him. But his death seemed to be the end of all of that. Their hopes had died with him. And even after the events of that morning, they were still struggling to have faith. And so Jesus appeared to his disciples 
to restore that faith. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Next week we'll look at Thomas, who people often call Doubting Thomas. But the reality is, all of the disciples struggled to believe in the resurrection. All of the disciples needed evidence to convince them of that truth. So Jesus showed them his hands and his side to prove his identity, to say, look, it really is me, and to prove that he was alive. Yes, his body was transformed because he entered into a room where the doors were locked. But he was still a physical human being. Luke even says that he ate some food just to prove that point. The resurrection of Jesus was not something that was hastily Believed by gullible men. It was not wishful thinking or mass hysteria. It wasn't just a kind of spiritual awakening that they all had. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical, physical, examinable fact proved by many pieces of evidence. So today, God is not asking us to have blind faith. You know, just close your eyes and just believe. Instead, He wants us to examine the evidence and put our faith in Jesus because we are convinced that He is the Son of God. I'm sure that you know, most of you know, this is why John wrote his gospel. We've been reminding ourselves of this verse for the last 18 months or so that's taken us to get through John's gospel. John said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wanted to provide the evidence so we can believe. So we can experience peace with God, with with others and with ourselves when we put our trust in Christ because our faith is, is restored in Him. And if we do that, then our future will be transformed. This is what happened to the disciples. First of all, verse 20, their, their sadness was replaced with joy. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That's amazing, isn't it, when you think of it? Because in many ways, their situation was completely unchanged. The circumstances of their lives had not been suddenly transformed. Their lives were still in danger. Their enemies were still committed to destroy them. But the resurrection gave them a joy that nobody could take away. It meant that the cross was not a tragedy to mourn, but a victory to celebrate. It meant that Jesus was not gone, 
but he would be with them forever. It meant that their hopes in him were not empty, but that they could depend on him for everything that he'd promised. And so today, no matter what we're going through, and I know that many of us here this morning are going through incredibly difficult times, no matter what we're going through, we have reasons to rejoice today. Because Jesus is alive. It means our forgiveness is paid for. It means our fellowship with God is guaranteed. It means our future with God is secured. So even in the middle of the darkest moments, the resurrection is a source of unshakable joy. Today we can be sorrowful because of what we're going through in our lives and yet always rejoicing. But joy was not the only change for these guys. When Jesus was arrested, as I said earlier, they all deserted him. But Jesus had not deserted them. Jesus still had a purpose for them, despite all their weaknesses and failures and limitations. Verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In his grace, these failed and fearful people now had the privilege of continuing the mission that Jesus had begun. They were called to be witnesses to the most important message ever declared. They declared on Pentecost that God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. And this message was so important. This message of the resurrection was so important for this world because it gave hope to a lost and dying world. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23, If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now let's just be careful how we understand this. Okay? Some people think that this is Jesus giving the apostles and church leaders that came after them the authority to listen to somebody's confession and to forgive their sins. Oh, you've done that? Okay, I forgive you. But that's not how the disciples understood what Jesus said. That's not what the disciples took from this. Because I don't think it's what Jesus said at all. Instead, the disciples, they understood what Jesus was saying, and so they responded to it by preaching the gospel. By preaching the message of forgiveness through faith, in Jesus. So Peter's message on the day of Pentecost was this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus gave to the apostles the privilege of announcing heaven's terms on how someone can be forgiven. They declared that if someone believed in Jesus, you are forgiven. And they declared if someone didn't believe in Jesus, then you're not forgiven. And unfortunately, this kind of clarity, this kind of simple, straightforward gospel declaration is not what people want today. A few years ago, uh, the pastor of one of the largest churches in the States was being interviewed on a talk show uh, on, on the States. A guy called Larry King was the interviewer. And King asked this pastor about what other preachers had said to him. Other preachers had said to him, if you believe in Christ, you're going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter how much good you do, you ain't. The pastor's reply was this. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. I think it's a cop-out to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything. That's just waffle, by the way. Okay? He was just trying to avoid the answer. Avoid the question. But King, the interviewer, wouldn't be put off. So he said, what if you're Jewish or Muslim? And you don't accept Christ at all. The pastor replied, You know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. King pressed the point further. If you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? Meaning people from other religions. The pastor said, Well... I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. But the apostles knew. Apostles would never have said that. Because they knew. They knew what Jesus had said. They knew that Jesus had said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so throughout their ministry, they preached a simple, straightforward gospel message. They confidently declared that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And we are called to follow in their footsteps. Not follow the way of the world that, that, that doesn't want to know, that doesn't want to declare the truth, that wants to make it everybody kind of, oh well, we're all going to get there in the end. That's not the truth. God wants us to follow His truth. So as the Father sent Jesus into this world, 
So Jesus has sent us to continue this mission. Each and every one of us have been called to serve in his kingdom as his witnesses. We've been commissioned to take the gospel, the message of God's love and grace, to a world that is lost and dying. To our friends, to our family, to our work colleagues, to our neighbours, to the people that we care about. To declare the wonderful good news that it's only through faith in Jesus that we can receive full and free gift of forgiveness of all of our sins. This is the wonderful good news of the gospel. And yet it's also a huge responsibility. A terrible, a, a, a huge responsibility that God has given to us to declare this message of hope and salvation to the people around us that we care about. But it's such good news that we're not left on our own to struggle with this. After Jesus commissioned these disciples, see what he did in verse 22? He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now they'd have to wait 50 days until Pentecost until to experience the true, the full fulfillment of that promise. But Jesus showed here that the gift of the Holy Spirit comes from Him. This is what Peter preached at the day of Pentecost. He said, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit is the gift of the risen Christ to all who put their faith in him. But he is the, the life breath of Christ. Genesis 2, remember when we looked at the, the, the creation account in Genesis 2, records that when God made Adam, the Lord God formed from the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. The breath of God brought Adam to life. But now the Holy Spirit is the life breath of Christ that brings us into eternal life. And as he comes into our lives, he brings the presence of God to us. The Spirit is the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus when he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that we can know that we're never alone, no matter what we're going through. The Spirit doesn't just bring the presence of God. He also brings the power of God. Jesus promised these disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is the same power that we can depend on to enable us to live for God. Listen to what Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. He said that his prayer was that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is like the, power, the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised them from the dead and seated them at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God today has given us resurrection power through his Spirit. That doesn't mean that we can just soar through life. That doesn't mean that we can just get everything that we want. But it means that because of his resurrection, we can experience the fellowship of the Spirit in our lives. He comes into the lives of everyone who puts their first trust in Jesus. He renews our hearts. He assures us that we're God's children. He fills our hearts with his love and his joy and his peace. He encourages us and directs us in our lives. He teaches us God's truth. He transforms our lives. And he continues to empower us for his service. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. But it means that when we hear God's call in our lives, we should never respond and say, well God, I can't do that. Because yes, we can't do that in our own strength. But we're not supposed to be depending on our own strength. We're called to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And so we don't need to live in fear and worry. I'm not saying, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you struggle with worry or you struggle with fear, there's, oh, there's, you're, you're a terrible Christian or anything like that. Not at all. We all struggle with that. But this is an encouragement that we can keep on moving away from that into that place of confidence and courage. And that's what happened to these disciples. This bunch of guys who had failed, who were full of fear and worry, hiding behind locked doors in in anxiety. But the reality and the power of the risen Christ so impacted them that their enemies were shocked when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that they'd been with Jesus. Because they knew that since Jesus had conquered the grave, then even the threat, even the threat of persecution and exclusion and hatred and ridicule and even death couldn't stop them from speaking out about Jesus. So folks, this is the life-transforming power of the resurrection. And even in our troubling times, even in this difficult time, we can experience this too. If we allow this truth to impact our lives more and more each day, then our fear will be overcome. Our faith in Jesus will be restored. And our future will be transformed.